Man, I am so happy to be here. I hope you are too. I cannot wait um, to show you what I believe the Lord has been pressing on my heart um, for the past couple weeks now. And so if you have a Bible, we are not going to be in 1 Corinthians. Um, we are going to take a break from that series, and we are going, you can turn to John 13, verse 34 and 35. Um, but as you're turning there, I want to say a few things by way of introduction. Um, I truly believe that the Lord has just been rattling me lately. Um, and, and normally I love when this happens uh, because it means I get to see new glories of the beauty of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. But there's also something disorienting about when you are seeing something that is right in front of you, especially in the word, that we are fools if we hear the word and don't do it. And that fact becomes especially convicting when the reality that you see in the Word is something that is so simple. But the Lord has been pressing in on my life, I believe, more so than any other time in my walk with Him in the past month, about the reality of His love. And I'm not talking only about attribute of God that is love, or 1 John 4, that God is love. I'm talking about what His love is supposed to do in me, or in you. If we truly understand God's love for us in Christ, it changes us. It changes the trajectory of our lives, and it moves us not away from people, but toward the mess of other people. In fact, our lives, our very lives as followers of Christ, are called to be a living demonstration of the love of Jesus for the watching world. I want you to see it in the text. This is John 13, verse 34 through 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A quick note here, the idea, whenever Jesus says there's a new command, it's not a new command in the sense of the Bible hasn't showed us this yet, but the newness of it, especially when spoken by the incarnate Son of God while he's on earth, the newness here is Jesus is saying that we are to love one another, but that love is, is empowered, embodied, and shown to the world by his very life, his death, and his resurrection. He's saying, love one another just as I have loved you. So two beautiful yet convicting realities for us this morning Number one, straight from the text, but I want us to pause and consider this as a family this morning. We are to love others as Jesus loved us. Now, we are going to flesh this out more through the sermon of what this demands of us as followers of his, but I want you to take a moment just to sit in that. We are called, our call as followers of Christ is to love others, nothing less than the way that he has loved us. And if you haven't put the gospel pieces together yet, this type of love means dying so that others may live. And listen, if your love or what you claim is love is marked by convenience or self-interest, you are not fulfilling this new command from Jesus. But if the love that we claim, that we want to live, and I know, I know you love Jesus, you want this, it's going to involve dying to ourselves so that others may have life for the glory of God. 
And if that's the start, then we are on the right track for the type of love that we are demanded here in this text. That's reality number one. Reality number two, this was way more intense and hard for me to think through this week. Not only are we called to love as Jesus has loved us, Jesus connects our Jesus-like love toward each other with his being known as his disciples. Don't miss the gravity of that. Look at verse 35 again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People are going to know that we, as followers of Jesus, belong to Jesus not by what we scream about, not by what we believe, though doctrine is important and it shapes and empowers the love that we claim, but they will know the reality of Jesus himself, the love of Christ, by how these people in this place, his church, love each other. (laughs) That's a high price, right? We see the standard of as Jesus has loved us, and then he says, people are going to know that you belong to me by the way you love each other as I have loved you. So this goes without saying, but if you're like me, you're already thinking, you're going to need help with that. (laughs) Seems impossible, right? Because if you look around this room or at the nine or just whoever is in the Huntington Community Church family and other people and guests and friends, the giftedness in this church family and the people who are in this community are unignorable. You look around, it's it's kind of breathtaking how much incredible humble servitude and giftedness the Lord has blessed this church with. But listen, none of this matters if we don't have love. None of it matters. If we're not using our spiritual grit and our spiritual energy to turn toward each other in love, but only in our giftedness, then none of this matters. And I think this is one of the main reasons that Jesus prays for us in John 17. So you can flip a few pages over in your Bible, but I just want you to think about this as you're turning there. Did you know that Jesus really prays for us? (laughs) He prays for us. One of his roles right now is intercessor. And in John 17, we get words of what he prayed for us while he was on earth. There's one theologian that says it this way. I love this quote. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, which that would be amazing, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And so if this is true in our call to show the world the love of Jesus by the way we love one another. I want you to see this prayer. Just John 17. I'm only going to do verses 20 through 23, but I want you to see this. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So this is why I'm saying this prayer is for you. Because if you'll notice, he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the people listening to this prayer, but he is asking for those who will believe in him because of their word. And so this discipleship chain process of the love of Jesus made its way all the way to Huntington, West Virginia. You realize that? He's saying, I'm not only praying for you guys, I'm praying for the countless of people that are going to continue to hear about my love forever. This is for us. Look what he prays for us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Notice this, guys. What he is praying for us is that we would be one, and then he likens that unity to the Trinity. (laughs) You see that? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, 
are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So the ultimate, loving, unified reality of the entire universe, Jesus is praying that we here at HCC in our city would show the world that kind of love and unity. And then he grounds that into the watching world again. Did you catch that with the word so? We want this to happen, Father, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. High stakes on our love and unity as a church family, right? Do you want Huntington to not only know the love of Jesus, but to believe that he has been sent for them? Here's how we do it. We're one, and we love one another. Makes sense why we would need prayer, right? Let's finish out this section of the prayer, verse 22 and 23. It says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them. Here it is again. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me, so that we might be perfectly one, so that the world may know that Jesus has been sent and that he loves them. Sometimes we don't have to spend a lot of time thinking of ministry strategic outreach events when Jesus is saying, here's how they're going to know. Love each other and then be in the community. Don't you dream for that? Don't you want that? Can you imagine the watching world? People who don't know Jesus see us around our tables, in our groups, in our ministry, worship services, and they think, the way that they are living shows me the reality that Jesus has been sent and that he loves them. Our beliefs matter, but those beliefs should set your heart on fire that flows into a life of love for other people. And I want to challenge you, I want to beg you this morning to not put your cliche filter on and ignore this. Um, Because I think it's kind of easy when you hear it's a sermon about loving one another. I don't think any Christian in the room didn't know that was part of our job. It's really easy to push this away. But I want to overwhelm you this morning with, it's a title of my sermon, if you need, if you have notes and want to do that. It's the answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus is praying for us as a church, and we get to live in that power. So I just want to ask you, did you know that this type of community is possible? It is possible that people who don't know Jesus would see the way we love one another and the way we are unified, and they would know the reality that Jesus loves them and that he is here. My goodness, I want that in our city. And I just want you to dream with me that HCC can be a place where our relationships with each other would actually scream that Jesus is in Huntington. And I don't need to ask you rhetorically if that's what you want, because I know most of you. You love Jesus. You want this city to know that he is real and that he's, that he's sent. And so now it's time to let that doctrine, that belief, catch on fire in our lives and overflow into a love for other people. Um, don't you just want a gospel culture like that? This idea has been blowing my mind lately, I'm not going to lie. This idea of gospel culture is not original to me at all. But thinking about the beliefs that we have about Jesus should create a relational reality that is beautiful and pleasing to God. So this sermon is my attempt to overwhelm you with the New Testament witness of what it looks like to live out the love and unity for the glory of God. What I'm not saying is that you just believe these things and then personally agree that you want to live that way. But I want to invite you into the reality that these commands show us of what the church can be. If the church is really a laboratory of grace or the arena of discipleship, then we get to show off the glory of Christ by obeying these commands in the New Testament. 
And the ones we're going to look at today are the one another commands. You've probably heard whenever we um, recognize a new member, we always say we want to do the one another's together. You've probably heard that if you've been around. And this, so if you're a person who claims HCC as your home, you are be, belong with the HCC family, this is what you have covenanted with all of us to be. And not just so that we feel good. This is designed by God, prayed for by Jesus Christ, to show the world that he is real and that he is here. And I want this. And guess what? It's going to involve death. It's going to involve death to ourselves so that others may live as this works itself out in our relationships. So toward that end this morning, we are going to do 52 miniature expositions before we run to the gospel. I actually said 52. Now, this is going to be overwhelming, not only for you, but for me. Um, this is one of those times I just wish we were in a one-service season uh, of our church, but here we are, 52 of these, and I want you to stare at the reality of what these one another commands can be. And listen, for some of you, that's going to mean you go reconcile today with someone. For some of you, you're going to need to go do work in your own heart so that you're ready to die so that others might live for the glory of God alone. So let's celebrate these together. So let's start out with a question. Do you know what John 13, 34, John 15, 12, and 17, Romans 13, 8, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 4, 9, 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 John 3, 11, 4, 7, and 2 John 5 have in common? They are all biblical commands for us to love one another. That's that many times in our New Testament. The sheer amount of this should be breathtaking because we all know that Paul spends a lot of time, a lot of the New Testament letters are designed to combat false teaching and, and give us practical commands. But Paul also spends a lot of time just reminding the church to love one another. At the end of the day, we know from Jesus' teaching that all of the commands of God can be summed up by love God with our whole being, and then love our neighbors as ourselves. An actual dying to self so that others may live. An actual caring about their interests over your own. An actual forgetting about yourself. And I want to warn you too, I think it would be easy right now, especially if you were in the middle of relational conflict with someone, to start thinking these verses are actually about them. <laughs> when you hear this and you think they should be loving me better. And I want to empathize with that pain. That very well may be true. But I need you to hear that you're missing the point. Because one of the sharpest gospel edges that Jesus calls us to is not only is this love for our neighbor um, supposed to mirror his love for us, he applies that to our enemies. He says, love your enemies. We're called to love those who hate us. And so I want to beg you not to miss the point right now with deflection. We are called to love one Another, Galatians 5.13, another angle of the way that we are called to love one another, says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Listen, we are free. And freedom, our culture has ripped this phrase away from us. A lot of times we think freedom means doing whatever you want. But freedom is actually doing what you were created to do. Which, by the way, every person is created to love God and love people. We are freed to be what you are actually meant to be when we obey these commands. Now, we're going to be doing a lot of bouncing around, as you can imagine. So it's important that we see all these verses in their context, right? We can't just cherry pick and throw a bunch of them together and, and call it a day. So I want you to know, in context here, Paul is talking to the Galatian church that they would be free from their legalism, that they would be free from imposing their religious preferences on each other. So what are we free to do here at HCC? 
not to bunker down and indulge our flesh, but instead to serve one another in love. Or another way of saying it, dying to self so that others can live. Ephesians 4, another letter from Paul. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here we see another gospel angle of what it means to love one another. What does a life worthy of the gospel look like? It means bearing with one another. And think about this. If we're commanded as Christians to bear with one another, then that must imply that we are going to do things that are going to need bearing. (laughs) All of our Christ-centered friendships are not always going to be easy or enjoyable. But God gives us a command here that what we are called to as Christians is to bear with one another in love. Or, to say it another way, die so that others can live. 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So not only do our actions need to be loving, we are to use the gift of physical affection to show our love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, obviously, in our culture, we don't do a lot of kissing, right? Um, I did say um, in the nine o'clock, I said, um, no one kiss me on my way in today, um, but now I can no longer say that. Andrew Callahan obeyed this verse directly. Uh, planted one right on my temple, um, so I can't say that. But normally in our culture, that's not how we greet one another. But the beauty here is that we are free to genuinely use ourselves to demonstrate the love that we have for each other tangibly. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. This love is a familial love. One of the HCC cultural values here is we say that church family is not like family, but it is family. Easy to say, hard to live, and it does not happen by accident. Do you realize you do not drift toward this kind of love? If you stay in your own lane and you only live a personal Christian life, you are not going to drift toward this type of love for each other. This is what we're called to, though. Brotherly affection. Now, it would be helpful now, before we let all of our preconceived notions of what love means, it would be helpful to stop here and think about how the Bible defines love. And so, actually, in the letter that we're in on Sunday mornings um, with our last two Sundays, 1 Corinthians, in in chapter 13, Paul stops to actually describe love. And I figured, at the rate we go around here in books of the Bible, this probably, we won't get to chapter 13 until, you know, Easter of 2024. So, we're good to go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians 13 here together. So, here's the thing, though. A lot of you have probably heard this passage before at a wedding. Maybe it's literally sometimes called the love chapter. But the context of 1 Corinthians 13 comes right in the middle of two chapters that are literally all about how the church is the church and using our gifts to serve one another and build the kingdom. And love is the defining factor in that. So in this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, we can see what the Bible says love is truly like. So when we consider the command of love one another, this is what we have in mind. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. You can turn there if you want, but it's going to be on the screen as well. I want this to convict you, and I want this to invite you into the reality that God is calling us to. Verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. First of all, see this imagery. You can be as spiritual as you want, but if there isn't love, you might as well clang a cymbal while you talk to people. Now, I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone who had a symbol near them, but you can imagine that it would be really hard to hear and it wouldn't matter exactly what they said. 
And if you thought that, that's exactly the point here. You can speak in the heavenly languages for all you want. There's not love, it's just noise. Verse 2 gets even better. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, it was to remove mountains, but have not love, look, I am nothing. Call out anything you want in prophetic speech. Understand all of the theology that you want. Have all the confidence in God's promises that you want. If you don't have love, we are nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Give away all your income for good causes. Literally die for your faith in a fiery explosion. Not sure if the Greek there on burned means fiery explosion. That's paraphrase. But we gain nothing if there's not love. It doesn't matter how extravagant the good that we do. So love is obviously important. We're called to love one another. And then Paul makes the case that without it, none of our ministry acts really matter. So what does it look like? What are we trying to build here as a church? Here's verse 4. This is probably the part that you know. They usually skip one through three at the wedding. Um, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So love is patient. Love takes the long view of people, not easily frustrated by the annoyances of others. Love leans into complicated people, doesn't avoid complicated people. Love is kind. If you're a loving person, you have a gentle, loving posture toward everyone that you meet. Love has no envy. You celebrate others when they do good and are, or just if they're just better than you because it's for God's glory alone. You don't wish you were someone else if you were loving. Love also doesn't boast. You aren't quick to flesh out your own resume in front of others. You're more interested in learning about someone else than you are trying to get them to celebrate the latest thing that you've done. Love is also not rude. You don't use your arrogance or the force of your personality to run people over in conversations. Or if you don't have a loud personality, you don't use your passive aggressiveness to run over people in conversations. Love also is not irritable or resentful. This is insane too, but how many of us live our lives with a low-grade irritability toward people? I've heard too many times people who claim Christ and claim to be a part of this kingdom that say things like, quote, people just annoy me, or I just don't like people. And listen, that's kind of funny, because maybe all of us have said that in some capacity, but do you realize that is not an option for us as Christians? It's not an option. Jesus died for people. We don't get to just be irritated with them. We love them. Love also does not rejoice at wrongdoing. If you really love someone, you won't be happy when they screw up. Love rejoices in the truth. It's empowered, energized, stabilized by truth. Love also bears all things. Loving someone means being able to bear their struggles with joy. Love also believes all things. And listen, Paul is not a fool here, okay? Paul doesn't assume that everybody that ever talks to us is not going to lie to us. When he's saying love believes all things, it doesn't mean just, well, anything that anybody said, we just take. But... Wouldn't this at least mean for the church that we would assume the best about the motives of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Shouldn't we stop this madness of an automatic suspicion of other people? If love believes all things, wouldn't it at least mean that? 
Assume the best. Love hopes all things, always longing for what could be and trusting God with him doing a work in them. And lastly, love endures all things. Love sticks it out for the long haul. And so that's the nature of love. I want to give you a break here to ask is, how are we doing on this? Is our love in name only, or does it look like what the Bible says love is? All right, that's section one of the one another's. The next section of these is going to talk about humility. Now, I want you to see these after love because you need to understand that true love is not possible without humility. You can't die to yourself so others might live if you love yourself more than you love God. But humility gives us the freedom to live under God's rule and use our lives for others. It is actually seeing ourselves rightly, and humility is what happens when you see the glory of God. Here we go, Romans 12, 10. It's about to get a lot faster, okay? Love one another with brotherly affection. We've already gone over that. Outdo one another in showing honor. <laughs> Do you realize? This is amazing. The Bible's amazing. You just got permission as a follower of Christ to be competitive. <laughs> you get to outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, I'm a competitive person, and like sometimes this gets me fired up. I want to come into these gatherings and be like, no one will out-honor me today. Like, you give me a compliment, I am hitting you back, and no one. Like, I, I am going to be a person who out-honors every person that I talk to. And guess what? You're free to do that, too. It should become a regular practice around our tables and our groups and our services that we just come in competitive, saying, I am going to honor all of these people. Can you imagine? All the people around our tables and our gatherings just had a competitive gospel edge of not being outdone and showing honor to each other. Uh, my D group started this uh, two weeks ago. It was really interesting. Uh, at the end, we just were, they thought we were about done, and I've been on this you know, honor kick, and I thought, brothers, hold on, it's honor time. <laughs> and I said, none of us are leaving until we look each other in the eyes and honor each other to your face. And listen, it was awkward, but it was absolutely beautiful. Because now what we've established is in this brotherhood, not only is it a safe place to confess your sin, it is a place that we are going to search diligently to see the image of Christ in you, and we are going to tell you about it. I'm not talking about flattery here. I'm talking about showing honor. Did you know that every person you meet is honorable? Every person you meet is made in the image of God. If they're a Christian, they're being remade into the image of Christ. They are made for royalty. They will one day reign with Christ forever. We can honor people. If you can't find reasons to honor people, it's your problem, not theirs. So don't be outdone in this. Show honor and how you see the glory of Christ in them. Now, we've got to keep going. Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. So, let's just take this at face value. Do nothing at all from selfish ambition. Is that really what it says? Yes. Instead of using our efforts, our time, our energy for selfish ambition, we are free to, in humility, count others as more significant than ourselves. This is so counterintuitive to feel the weight of, but I want you to hear this. This is a command, which means to not, to count yourself as more significant than other people is a sin. You see this? Like, that is a saying to God, your way is not the best when we do this. It's a command. John 13, 14, this is Jesus talking when he's on earth. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So in context here, Jesus was showing us the ultimate example of humble servitude, washing feet. Now, I'm assuming, just like we're not going to smooch everybody here, we're probably not going to wash feet this morning. But here's a grace application for us. Once the love of Christ 
has truly humbled your heart, no job, no task is beneath you. Once it really gets a hold of your heart, you should be eager to take the dirty jobs that no one sees and you will get no credit for. Can you imagine a church like that? (laughs) Where we come in and we want the job with no credit. Over and over again. And while we're doing that, we're just out honoring each other. I mean, that would be a party. We come in and we're all just excited and eager to go serve and not want any credit. And all you can do is keep honoring someone else that you see. This is what the New Testament is calling us to as a church family. Romans 12, 16, it keeps getting better. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In harmony. Listen, this is going to take work because our flesh will naturally pull us toward discord. Prime example of this is I have not had to teach Duke how to grab Jack's head and put it into the carpet. I didn't teach him that. I didn't say, hey, listen, buddy, today is a really important lesson. I want to show you how to be in discord with Jack. No, he learned that automatically. He came pre-made like that. Because our flesh pulls us away from each other. We will naturally pull away. We have to supernaturally lean in to each other. Listen to me. Some of you need to not wait on that person to apologize, but instead go live this out with them. And not only that, we're supposed to associate with the lowly. I love this. We can be a church who doesn't seek power or celebrity. We're content with downward mobility because Christ has stooped low for us. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we humbly honor the authority of each other and depending on the relationships that we have. And all this is done out of, the reverence, uh, out of reverence to Christ. We submit to one another in honor and respect. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. likewise you are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility, here it is, toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now the first part of this, Peter directly relates to us younger people. But notice, although I don't know if I can say us younger people anymore. I have a quick story to tell. This was one of the more devastating moments of my week. Um, I went to the dentist, and there was a guy. Um, he'll remain nameless. He was a guy in the waiting room. We were talking. And uh, he goes, you know, I think you might have gone to uh, high school um, with my daughter. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Well, you know, what's her name? And I didn't know her. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, how, um, how old is she? She said, 39. I was like, oh, that hurts. So I'm 29. Um, but anyways, I, uh, I can't say, you know, us younger, I guess, anymore, according to Wes at the, uh, there's his name, his name was Wes, um, at the waiting room. But either way, all of us are called to put on humility toward one another. Why? Because if we don't, God will oppose. Do you realize it's possible that God could oppose our spiritual life and effectiveness if we do not kill the pride in us and do not repent and believe and obey these commands. All right, that's love, that's humility, and I want you to see this biblically as we see this last set of one another commands, that a heart just enraptured by the love of Jesus, unified with brother and sister, what that, within your humility, what that looks like is the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. So, what does the New Testament witness say about our actions toward unity? That's our last section here in this sermon. Mark 9.50. Jesus teaching again when he's on earth, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace, here it is, with one another. Now, be at peace. And notice what he links this to. Our effectiveness, listen, as change agents for the kingdom, as salt of the earth is connected to our being at peace with one another. Do you realize this? And peace isn't just ignoring things, it is fighting for it. 
In the uh, Collective Podcast, we're doing a little mini-series through the book of Colossians, and one of the episodes that stood out to me the most was Izzy. She was on there um, doing some of the truths of Colossians, and she said that she compared this idea of peace with the idea of war, and she mentions that peace doesn't come through acceptance, but normally through triumph. So listen, when we're called to be at peace with one another, it doesn't mean ignoring our issues and accepting sin in our relationships, but it does mean fighting them with grace and repentance and love so that we can enjoy the peace of Christ together. John 6, 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. So in talking to the disciples here and other commands of scripture, we know that God opposes grumbling, complaining, and gossiping. And I think, if we can be honest this morning, one of the most horrendous tricks of the enemy in my life is that the safest places for me to grumble, complain, and gossip are in my closest Jesus-centered relationships. Have you noticed this? That your blood-bought, Jesus-prayed-for, brother and sister friendships become the easiest place to break these commands? May it never be so at this church. Not only does it destroy our witness, it robs our joy. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. There it is again, but then three chapters over in 15, 5, he shows us what it's going to take to live in harmony. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Notice what we need. We're going to live this type of unity. We need encouragement and we need endurance. So I want to ask you rhetorically, don't you want every person in this church to live in accord with Christ? Don't you want that? Don't you want that for them? It's going to take encouragement. It's going to take courage to have hard conversations. And it's going to take endurance because we've got to stick it out for the long haul for us to see that kind of beauty in each other. But it's worth it. Romans 15, 7. I love this verse. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, we've got to beg the question, how has Christ welcomed us? By dying for us so that we might live. How can we welcome each other? By genuinely dying to ourselves and genuinely being glad that someone is here. <laughs> That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Welcome each other? And I'm not talking about superficial niceties, you know, at a department store or something like that. And I'm not knocking that. I actually really, really like when people say hi to me when I walk in to those stores. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about realizing that every single person that God brings into one of our gatherings or around our tables is made in his image. And if he saw fit to bring them into our path, we are given an opportunity to glorify God by the way that we honor that person and their value and their dignity. Who wouldn't want to come to a place like that? you imagine? You're just like invited in and all these people just keep dying to themselves and welcoming you, overwhelming you with honor and dignity. That's the type of church when the watching world sees that, they're going to wonder, what in the world is wrong with them? I want to be a part of that. I've heard it said before that people should feel relieved when they talk to people who know the gospel. <laughs> How beautiful would that be? You're the type of friend in that person's life that when they come talk to you, it's relief. I want to be that type of church that when people are shackled in shame, overwhelmed by guilt, suffering, they can't wait to get here, not stay away because of the religious pressure they might feel, but they know all they're going to see in the way we make eye contact and the way we do small talk and the way that we love one another is gospel relief. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. In context here, by the way, Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper. Some translations, which some of your Bibles might say this, doesn't say wait for one another, it says share with one another. But it seems like the idea here is that we include everyone in the feast of the gospel. 
Someone has repented and trusted in Christ, and they are free to enjoy him, and we should make sure that they are there. Galatians 5.15, negative commands now. I want you to see this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What is biting and devouring if it isn't using our words and actions to demean and attack? And listen, some of you don't use your words and actions. You just do this by your looks and by ignoring people. And God says that that type of heart attitude can consume us. Robs our joy, kills our witness. Be careful. Galatians 5.26, a few verses down in that same chapter, says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Provoking one another can be rooted in jealousy. So I just want to ask you, what heart work do you need to do in order to be the type of person that can celebrate the gifts of others rather than being jealous of them? Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen, if you are truly humble and gentle and patient in the power of the Spirit, what that looks like is bearing with one another in weakness and not beating one another in hate. This means you will have to be close enough to know their burdens. It's going to take work. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgave you. We get a chance as a church to create a community that forgives when you mess up. How countercultural could that be? Not only are you welcomed, not only are you honored, if you mess up around us, guess what? Forgiven. My goodness. Do you realize if you believe that, first of all, you just believe that Christ has really forgiven you, but then you tangibly experience that in the relationships that we have with each other. Oh my goodness. You'd be free to live life to the fullest, knowing not only do these people love and honor you enough to tell you when you're on the, you're on the wrong path, but when they see you on the wrong path, you're already forgiven. <laughs> it's amazing. Just Ephesians 4.32 alone lived out for a year would change this city. Grudges have no place in the kingdom of God. None. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. There it is again. Look at this part, though. And if one has a complaint against another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also most must forgive. Do any of you have complaints against one another? It's a sin to not go and deal with that. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I love Paul. He's like, seek to do good to one another, also everyone else. Okay, so even when evil is done to us, we are called to do good in response. And I'll admit, this is where some of his commands really disorient me. I'm thinking, okay, love one another as they're loving me back. Honor that person as they're trying to honor me. But the biblical call of love goes even deeper than that. It says, even as they're doing evil to you, we love. But this reality drives me straight to the gospel. Do you realize that my sin and your sin contributed to the only innocent man to ever live, to die? And it was in that death and resurrection that he showed us doing good to us and loving even his enemies, which we all were. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This doesn't mean only do not speak evil to someone. That's easy. <laughs> I know most of you. I don't think any of you are tempted to look someone in the eye and speak evil directly to them. Maybe some of you are, but most of you aren't. So that's the easy part. But what about when that person's not there? Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. That's sin. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This idea of not grumbling about each other, 
which seems like a little bit less than speaking evil to one another, though grumbling is obviously evil, he connects this to the judgment of God. (laughs) Don't do this. That's the application for us. God is holy, and he is love, and he has called us not to grumble about each other, but instead to speak love and life to each other. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Can you imagine if this became normal? Instead of biting, gossiping, grumbling, we confessed. There's an idea here that I want to introduce to you. Uh, it's a guy named Ray Ortland. He's a pastor in, in Nashville. Um, he's also a theologian in the Anglican church, randomly. He wasn't, and now he is. Um, but in our house, he's affectionately called Papa Ray. And so, because I've been talking about Papa Ray a lot. But one of the things that he says is that what people need to flourish as followers of Jesus is the gospel, safety, and time. My goodness, can you imagine if our friendships, if you connect to this community, you're going to be overwhelmed with the finished work of Christ. It's going to be a non-accusing atmosphere where Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ, is the air that we breathe, and then we're sticking it out with you. You don't have to get this right immediately. We're here for the long haul. Gospel, safety, and time. I want you to dream about this. <laughs> Think about what that could look like around your table. Then, when the, when the sin does come, by the way, we are going to sin, when that's confessed instead of confusion or shock, the automatic response is prayer and healing. I want to give my life to that. That's something I will die for, is let's be the type of community where gospel safety and time is something that we just breathe together. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, this is obviously not talking about matters of sin, in this type of culture that we're talking about, that hates sin enough to step in with grace and truth. But can you imagine if we created a culture here in our relationships that was judgment-free? Listen, the point of judgment for the gospel, for gospel people, is that our judgment has been taken for us on the cross. So we're free to not judge each other in matters that aren't of first importance. And then in that freedom, you can decide to never Be a stumbling block. Never be a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. But notice the type of humility that would take. Love means saying no to your preferences and rights for the life of another. And that is deep. Now, three verses about kissing again. It's in there four times. So Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Look at this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. All the brothers send send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then uh, first, or 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's hilarious. That is in there four times <laughs> in the New Testament. We can't like old covenant this away, right? And it's like, well, Jesus fulfilled, you know, this kiss. So it doesn't apply to us anymore. This applies. So how does this beautiful reality take root for us? Here's what I think. We are set free in the gospel of grace to greet each other with culturally appropriate, relationally safe, physical affection. The church should be the place and the people where you can get a gospel-centered hug when you need it. Wouldn't that be beautiful? This was a place you couldn't wait to get to after your whole life falls apart because you know someone's going to look you in the eyes, honor you, welcome you, hug you. And in Andrew's case, for me at least, kiss me. Now, 1 Corinthians 7.5, speaking of physical affection... Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, 
so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I'll admit, if I hadn't committed to doing all the one another commands, there's no way I would do 1 Corinthians 7. But since we committed to it, here's all I'm going to say. God loves culturally appropriate, relationally safe, physical affection in the way that he designed it. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, love is going to look a lot like holding each other's burdens. Imagine a place where you never carry anything alone. Easier to say, harder to live. We're going to have to die to get to this. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Listen, we belong to each other, so we're going to tell the truth. Colossians 3.9 is the inverse of that command. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What words, right? We didn't just cherry pick this out of a letter. You know what words he's talking about there is the second coming of Christ. We are called as a church family to remind each other that Christ is coming back. All sin, all suffering, all relational tension will be over forever. And we get courage from that and we're commanded to remind each other of that fact. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing every conversation, every small talk, every eye contact, encouragement, building up. Three more. Here we go. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love the idea of consider here. Can we just commit as a church family? We're going to use our best mental efforts to see how we can stir each other up to love and good works. Can you imagine? That's what you considered at night. You're just thinking, man, I want to pray for my church family. I wonder how I can make them love Jesus more and how I can equip and help them to do more good works. That is beautiful. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, not reluctant hospitality in the kingdom of God. Everybody is welcome in our lives, and we're happy to do it. Band, you want to make your way back up? This last one's appropriate because it's the one that we can all obey right now together. We can start this. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, listen, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. None of this is possible without the love of Jesus. We're not trying to create a good-looking social club. We are people who believe that Jesus has died and rose again, and it's in that power that we die to self so that others might live. And it's in that power we walk together showing off his glory to a watching world so that they might know not only that he's sent, but that he loves them. And we can start this morning by obeying Colossians 3.16 and sing some spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God.